0: Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara. Brought to you by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Connect with Sharon now at 781-837-4900 and online at bostonconnect.com. Now, here's Sharon McNamara.
1: Good morning, South Shore. This is uh, Andrew Monticone filling in for Sharon McNamara for talking some real estate here. I'm sitting next to the best attorney, the best real estate attorney in Massachusetts here. And we have a, we have a lot of information and, and we have a very good show today. So um, without further ado, Brad Mahoney, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well, Andrew. Thank you very much for that very kind introduction. I don't know if you want to be the best attorney, but we'll see. One of the best attorneys. The best. I, don't, I, don't
1: give you, I don't want to give you too much credit. I don't want all the competitors <laughs> going after me. Exactly. So we, we're going to talk a lot today about purchase and sale agreements the winter's coming. We have a, we have a lot a, a lot of information that I think buyers and sellers are, are going to want to hear. Um, the market's
2: still surprisingly pretty good.
1: But first, Brad, if people after the show want to get in touch
2: with you, uh, how, can they, how can they reach you? Sure thing. So uh, my name again is Brad Mahoney. It's Mahoney Law Group. We're a seven-person law firm. We're located in Braintree. Uh, I live on the South Shore. I live in Hingham. But if anybody wants to get a hold of us, they can call 781 0700, again, 781-849-0700. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and the website is www.mlgne.com. Nice. And again, I'm, I'm Andrew Montecone. And I'm a mortgage loan officer
1: with Leader Bank. I've been doing this uh, about 11 years now, and uh, we're excited to be here and, and give everybody some good information. Um, the, the first thing that we wanted to we wanted to talk about was uh, the, the, not, the air is changing. Winter is coming. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately I don't want to remind everybody of last winter um, but as as the winter months approach what should people be looking out for if they're buying and selling what should they be looking out in their purchase and sale in particular buyers
2: well it, so it there's a lot of things to look out and I think last winter taught us all a lot um, in terms of how bad winter can be not that we need to be reminded of that in New England but in, in terms of real estate the effect it can have so First of all, one thing to consider is what type of property if uh, if you're selling or buying do you have? Do you have a condo or do you have a single family right. home? So if you have a if you have a condo and you or if you're looking to buy a condo, you really have to have an attorney look into the condo docs, the meeting minutes. Have there been an assessment because of a budget being uh, used up because of the amount of snow removal last year so that's something we're seeing a talk to somebody sure. today we're seeing a lot of special assessments on condo associations and what that is is that's when there's not enough money in the reserves to pay for things they have to hit every unit owner with almost so, a surcharge for example like let's say there was so much plowing last winter correct. that
1: the condo probably most places but condo associations didn't they under budgeted which because they weren't expecting snowmageddon correct that money is now gone
2: or they have to re- they have to hit up the owners for for more money. And most of it, most of that was done because it was so excessive how the the balances were, or the budgets, excuse me, were busted. It was all done last spring and summer so they have to hit up the owners for money to replenish those reserves, those budgets. So
1: if you're buying a condo, and I guess if you're selling a condo, it's it's probably a good it-
2: good idea to pull the the condo budget. Right. So you'll know if you have if you're selling, you'll know if you've had a special assessment and m- how it works um 99.9% of the time is the seller is responsible for any existing assessments on the property. Sometimes it can be negotiated, but usually the seller's got to pay off any assessments on the property before closing. And a buyer, you're going to want to, so I'll jump back, a seller should disclose, is there an assessment? And they're going to have to pay it off. So just be aware of that and, you're and if that into the price. And if they want
1: to make the property more appealing, good idea to say right up front seller will
2: repa- will pay for assessment like yeah. take care of it or whatever the case may be exactly there was an assessment um, from winter of 2015 2014 seller, 15, will, take care seller will pay the assessment before closing okay. yep. that's what I that's what I mostly see yep and on the buy side Uh, You're going to want to make sure, either between your agent and the attorney, that you've asked these questions or had representations made into the agreement that there are no pending assessments so there are no assessments that are outstanding against the property. Now, one thing in Massachusetts we have that protects buyers, when you close on a condominium, a residential condominium, there's an item called the 6D certificate. And what that is, is uh, the 6D is the statute clause that it's referring to, but a seller has to provide that to the buyer and their attorney to record at the closing. So that gets put at the registry of deeds, and that shows yep. that that particular unit that's being sold, being conveyed, has no outstanding common area association dues, nor does it have any outstanding special assessments. So
1: basically a 6D, so if those are have to be notarized. Correct. It's Signed record, by the trustees of the si- association. Signed by the trustee. It's basically saying that the unit that you're buying is not doesn't owe any condo fees they're not behind on their condo fees or they don't owe any assessments
2: they they have no outstanding special assessments
1: yep so that that's i know it where i work at leader bank that is required you have to have a 60 it's required we can't can't
2: close without it can't close on a purchase without it being recorded can't can't massachusetts law um you can't, You well, you can close. The, the registry is not going to stop you from closing. Got it. It's malpractice. Got it. it so yep. uh, you want to make sure that's recorded. And no bank will close on it for sure. They, if well, they, they find, shouldn't be. If they found out that it's or 60 is not recorded, the attorney is going to be in it, a, lot a lot of lot trouble. A lot of trouble.
1: Okay. Yep. So 60, very important. I, I, I like when you're buying a condo to
2: find out what's going on is pulling the condo minutes Yep, meeting minutes are very important. I've See, seen meeting minutes where um, I had one in Boston last year. It was uh, kind of a, a alston Brighton neighborhood, and in the meeting minutes there was uh, reports of people having uh, there was a kind of a, a little bit of a crazy owner in the building, and he was pulling knives on uh, people in the condos in the condo hallways, and the police had sound, to be that, called. That doesn't sound very safe. No, not safe at all. And he eventually was kind of evicted, forced to sell. But um, a little bit of uh, salacious reading going through the meeting minutes to kind I of bet. find out what was going on there. So you, you'll never know what you find. What you, A lot of times it's very mundane and things need to be um, maybe updated or plans they have. But sometimes you'll see stuff that are very, very financially important to potential buyers. Red flags. Red flag. Hey, the, we've been talking about the roof. The roof needs to be done. That could be a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. I, I just saw, um, I'm representing a seller, 100-unit condominium complex in Charlestown. They just did a million-dollar assessment. So it's $10,000 a unit.
1: And what what is that cut? Co- what is that going to cover?
2: Roof in the exterior. It's a huge, huge building. It's a lot. It's a lot of money. It's and so lot. the buyer rightfully is kind of concerned at the size of that assessment and the scope of the work. sure. And so it's just it raises questions. So as far as owning single families now, yep, so that was that so again, that was winter with um if you're in a condo if you're in a condo, so that's just some things to consider. Single family. what I've been seeing because of last winter, when I represent a seller, a lot of buyer attorneys are saying or asking what type of claims were made on the insurance in the last year for any type of wow. snow damage stuff like I that. I haven't heard of that. That's a, so, to find out what's going on. Make asking for representations. Um, so that's that's been an interesting one. We, we always, as a seller's attorney, we respond. That's kind of none of your business. Do an inspection if you want to know the condition of the property. Of um, yeah. you know. So it's it, that's always a little bit of a dance. But um, so the, so again, when it comes to winter and planning. It, 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 your strategy might be a little bit different uh, for if it's a condo versus a single family. And it's definitely going to be different if you're a buyer versus a seller. Okay. So if you're a buyer, and uh, let's just talk about winter and let's talk about snow. Last winter, I had a couple of scenarios. I don't scenarios. want to talk about snow. No, we've, not got ready. we've got not it. we got not ready. Uh, last winter, I had a couple of scenarios where the seller had, had moved out of the area, gone south. Um, they're in warmer climate, kind of forgetting about the house, but it was under contract. And when I represent a buyer, we put in a clause that says that the seller has to maintain the property in the way they've customarily maintained the property and their ownership through closing. And we, in the wintertime, we always put in, including ice removal, plowing of uh, driveways, clearing yeah. of walkways. We had a couple of scenarios where the snow got so egregious, it was so hard to find people, For remembers, it was hard to find someone consistently plowing. We had final walkthroughs coming, and the driveway had never been plowed and the seller is saying, you know what, I'm not going to pay the amount of money. And And it was 20 feet of snow. 20 feet of snow, good luck finding somebody. Well, if you're not properly represented, if you don't have the right language in there, it becomes somewhat contentious. But you just need to make sure that the attorney you're working with, when you're on the buy side, has got a clause that deals with the inevitability of what happens in the winter, as well as making sure that it's clear that the seller has to maintain the property as they customarily have. Uh, Another example that we're doing right now is is just winterizing things. So if someone has an in-ground sprinkler system, okay, yeah, you know, make sure you have the sprinkler system blown out and winterized. Okay, you don't want it freezing, and the seller doesn't care anymore. They've moved on, and you go to turn it on next spring, and. You've got to replace everything that's the in the ground. All the pipes that burst. Exactly, exactly. So those are some things to consider. Um, you know, the the big word I had never heard of before last winter uh, it, or, uh, is the term ice dance. I know, right? And I never
1: that, heard of it. I mean, I heard, yeah, I heard of it. Like, I don't know what that is now. Never, I certainly
2: know what it is now. Never heard it before last winter. It uh, became very, very common in our vocabulary, and that's the other thing to just keep in mind. So if, if um, you do... A walk. Uh, excuse me. You do. You go you do an inspection of the property. You sign a purchase and sale. In the contract, it's going to say that the seller has to deliver to you the property in the same condition it was as of the time, either of the purchase and sale signing or of the inspection. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's a baseline there. Now, if there's an ice dam and it's in the winter time, and you show up at the walkthrough and there's leaking somewhere or there's water damage and things, that seller is obligated to fix that or give you a credit. Uh, and it, it depends on the severity of how you're going to want to approach that. But there's language in there to protect you. So if, just don't think that, oh, I've got a closing and this is leak and I've got to go forward. You don't have to go forward. Okay? Buy your roof rakes now to prevent ice dams. Oh, roof rakes. Right. There's another thing right. I never I never. Really I, never I didn't know
1: what a roof rake was. <laughs> I, I pictured people raking leaves off their roof. And
2: then, you know, apparently. They're, I heard it, it's it, hard. It is a thing. A roof rake is a thing. Now, on the seller side, speaking of roof rakes, on the seller side, unfortunately, you own it until you close okay so if you're got a house and it's wintertime and uh, you get one of those ice dams and it's two weeks before closing you're obligated to deliver the property in the same condition it was as of the inspection or the agreement as we discussed before at closing so you got to repair it now we can get technical and if there's
1: i I, I was gonna say here's my follow-up to that so what 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 happens let's say you go to close you're you're closed and you record it, and the final walkthrough there's no problems. It's recorded at the registry of deeds. The seller no longer owns it. The buyer is now the owner, and they go. They're going to move in, and they see a pipe has burst. From the time that they were at the registry of deeds, by the time that they got there a few hours later, what 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 happens? They own it. Bad luck.
2: So the new. So it just a uh, if you now if somebody had put a rug over a stain <laughs> that was clearly from water, that might be something different, so you couldn't see it. But yeah, but you for own the most it. part want you own you, it. you did your final walkthrough that's why people try to do them as close
1: to the closing close to the as time you can. as
2: possible you own that problem unfortunately welcome to home ownership welcome to home ownership right yeah it's um it's just the way it goes now if there's a, water can be a horrible thing I mean some inspectors will say water is the worst thing for a property it right is, yeah. so if if you look in the contract and if you do have an ice dam and it's catastrophic okay if you're a buyer and you look and it's just this is insane I'm supposed to close in three days and the ceiling has fallen in, and I'm worried about mold and all sorts of stuff. We write into the contracts that if if there's physical fire, casualty damage to the property during the contract, and the seller cannot return the property at the time of inspection, okay. And some would argue when there's smoke, you can never return it, it can never be taken out. It's, it's just it is such an infectious smell okay. and to a property, the buyer doesn't have to close it and get the deposit back. So if if the damage is such that you don't want to go forward, if you're worried, well, this is this ice dam, just something we weren't aware of, it wasn't found in the inspection, this has happened, and, and they just can't get the property in a condition, or if we close, we're not going to be able to get the property in a condition that um, was in the inspection, you don't have to go forward. And we're not here not to help consummate transactions. Obviously, we want transactions to go through, but unfortunately, life happens, and sometimes there is damage that just can't be fixed in a timely manner. Sure. No, I- so, you know, that, those are extreme cases. Extreme, yeah, you know, absolutely.
1: T- typically, uh, at a closing, it's it's everybody signs, and hopefully, everybody's walking away with a smile on their face. Well, yeah, and That's, that was
2: one thing that we talked about, or possibly talking is, what if somebody you go to the walks when someone hasn't moved out? Great question. Yes. Yeah. So let's say I'm a I'm a buyer,
1: uh, and we and we noticed that for the the final walkthrough, they
2: they haven't moved when out. When I've seen this happen, usually the because the, the if you have a good agent, they're kind of circling the house a few days before, and sure they'll. I had this happen, unfortunately, recently, but they'll say about three days before, hey, listen, I've noticed the seller hasn't made any movement in moving out of this house. Like, how are they going to get... When you move, Everyone who anyone who's moved knows there's so much stuff when you move. You don't even realize how much stuff it is. It takes more than a day. It takes more than a day. And so you can kind of hear, okay, no, they haven't even started moving and there's stuff in the garage, what have you. Um, so that's the first hint that's going to happen. Yep. And then you get that horrible email or call that, It's the day before the closing, or the night before the closing, or the morning of the closing, and they're not even close to out. So what happens? What happens? Well, technically, and you don't want to do this, but technically, they're in breach. The buyer could cancel and get their deposit back. No buyer wants to do that. You've put in too much time. You've fallen in love with the property. You you went through this process for a reason. You want to buy the property. It depends. So you've got a rate law considerations. If you're getting a loan, you have to be aware of. You do not want to take possession or um, title to the property. You don't want anything recorded until they're out and you can do a walkthrough. Most likely what's going to happen is there's going to be a delay until that seller is out of the property. which is not as easy as it sounds sometimes. No, and so you got to let your lender know um, if there is a rate lock concern. If you have a rate lock that's going to expire and it's going to cost money to extend, that you know, seller would be on the and, hook for that. And
1: people think and this happens. You know, if, if something does get delayed, and and there are real things as rate lock fees. Yeah. Where there sometimes people think that they're they're made up fees, and and they're not. They're banks lock do lock in loan amounts and rates. You know where, where they have reserved that money under certain rates with the federal reserve with uh you know with investors and if let's say you lock in a, a rate for 45 days and let's say that you know the, they're supposed to close 37 days in but now we're past the 45 day mark mm-hmm. th- it's usually about an eighth percent for every seven days an eighth of the loan amount eighth correct. of the loan amount yeah. correct that's you that's typical so like a quarter for, for 14 days it costs a quarter per the loan amount okay which depending on the loan amount can get very expensive Can be a lot of money so in that case would you
2: the sellers would be responsible or you could how would that work so everything can be negotiated but the way that it says in the contract if there's a delay that's because there's there are work and de- delays for title or condition of the property and the, the seller has the right to extend but if there's a rate lock expiration that's going to happen the buyer can ca- the buyer can cancel unless the seller is willing to extend the rate lock and pay for it so in the hypothetical we're giving where someone's not moving out their attorneys or their agent's going to tell them listen you didn't perform if this person if we have to delay a day or two Never mind that they, their rate lock expires. You're going to have to pay for that. Yep. What about the incidental cost? Somebody, if, if somebody's moving into a house that they were supposed to close on, where's their stuff? Where do they have to pay the moving company? Where are they going to stay? What's the hotel cost? Things like that. So if you're a seller, you need to take these contracts seriously and that there are ramifications for your failure to act. What
1: if the seller says, I don't want to pay
2: for the rate lock? Um, are they obligated? They're not obligated. Nope, they're not obligated. But the if, buyer could
1: back out. Buyer could back if out, Take a so lose. So it's a dance. It's a dance. It's a dance. Got it. Um, we're going to take a short break. Uh, Brad, why don't you give your information just one, one more time mm-hmm. uh, before we go on break, and we're going to come back and talk about some of the new rules that have been implemented uh, in, in the – real estate industry that's going to affect a lot of that have affect buyers and sellers. We're going to go into the details of that in a second. So Brad, tell people how they can get in touch
2: with you. Sure thing. So again, Brad Mahoney, uh, Mahoney Law Group. We are commercial and residential real estate lawyers out of Braintree, Mass. Phone number 781-849-0700 or at www.mlgne.com. Great. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Are you thinking about buying or selling a home? Are you looking to purchase investment property or considering converting a property into condominiums? Or are you a business owner or investor selling or acquiring commercial real estate? Mahoney Law Group is a full service real estate law firm and has guided thousands of people in the South Shore area through all stages and types of real estate ownership, including buying, selling, refinancing, and condominium conversions. They specialize in residential and commercial real estate closings and title issues. Whether you're a first time home buyer? or a seasoned commercial real estate investor. The knowledgeable and experienced staff at Mahoney Law Group is ready to help and they're always available. Make sure to ask about their first time home buyer discounts on fees and title insurance. If you have questions about buying, selling or refinancing, give them a call, 781-849-0700. Visit their website at mlgne.com or like them on Facebook and Twitter. Again, that number is 781-849-0700. Visit their website, MLGNE.com, or like them on Facebook and Twitter, Mahoney Law Group.
3: Are you thinking about selling your home or buying a new one? Are you a first-time home buyer or perhaps just right-sizing? Do you have a buyer's agent? Do you know if you really even need one? What is home staging? Will it really help me sell my home faster? Do I have to have a home inspection? How much home insurance do I need for my new home? How do I handle my estate sale? What are home sale contingencies? Have you heard that you have to put 20% down to buy a new home? Did you know that that wasn't true? Are you worried about environmental issues? What is radon, lead paint, and mold? Is there a difference between a foreclosed property or a short sale? Do you need to have a Title V inspection to sell your home? What do you do if your system fails? Are these questions you have but you don't know who to ask? Hi, I'm Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. Call my office for a one-on-one consultation with me or one of the many dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate so we can talk real estate. It's
0: easy to connect with some of the South Shore's most experienced real estate agents. Go to bostonconnect.com, bostonconnect.com, or call 781-826-7300.
4: Plumbing problems are inevitable. Sad to say... Do not fix it yourself. After all, that's your home you're living in. McNamara Plumbing. New construction, renovations, repairs, service calls. McNamara Plumbing. Fully insured. 781-294-7100. McNamara Plumbing. 50%
0: 50% more Talk Real Estate, absolutely free. Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara. Now, one hour, every Saturday morning on 95.9 WATD.
1: Welcome back, South Shore. I'm Andrew Monticone, Mortgage Loan Officer with Leader Bank, filling in for the infamous Sharon McNamara. We're, we're happy to have you here on Talk Real Estate. I'm sitting down with uh, real estate attorney Brad Mahoney, And we're talking about the ins and outs of of purchase and sales, buyers and sellers, what's gonna happen in the winter, what people should be aware of. Um, Let's talk about buying and selling at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's always something that's hard to navigate. Um, in, In particular, when a seller needs to sell in order to buy. So let me just say that one more time. If you're selling your house and you need to sell in order to qualify to buy your next home, but let's quickly just talk about that, how you can protect yourself
2: and what needs to be done. And first of all, and no slight on anybody, that's probably most people out there. I mean, it's, Absolutely. it's, it's very expensive, very hard to qualify carry two mortgages. Um, most people need the equity out of their they need the sale, down payment they, for the down payment. Um, so, y- you know, you've got to be careful. You need to make sure you're getting good advice. A lot of times when the market's active, I'd say, dare I say hot like it is now or has been this year you're going to get pressure to waive a home sale contingency and just keep in mind what that means that means you're saying you can qualify for the loan on the purchase without selling your home And and I do that for people as far as I'll give them my assessment is saying
1: yes you know if if the numbers what you told me and what we have verified are the real numbers you can qualify without selling your property um but a lot of, but that again it's very hard to do that yeah you, you, and you to, don't
2: necessarily want to do it and there's there's nothing if, if listen if you can qualify for it and you can do it great because it makes you more competitive It makes in the you market. more competitive but, but if, if you, you can't it's just because people say well, I know I'm gonna sell my home it's like okay you know they can get tough it can get
1: tough so what happens if what do people do like if what if what if your your sellers so let's say you're selling and you're and you're like okay I, I want to go put offers in and you put in there i I wanna uh a contingency that you need to sell first
2: and, so, and they won't accept your offer. Right. So th- th- that's going to be, it depends on the market you're in. Okay? okay. The more competitive the market, the more apt they sure. are to say, no, we're not going to take any sale contingencies. Some people try to get creative and be like, you know what? I'm not going to expressly say I have a home sale contingency, but what we'll do is I'll, I'll have my mortgage commitment date. It's still contingent on the loan. And if I get denied for the loan because I couldn't sell my house, well, yep. I've, I've saved my deposit. Problem with that is if the seller has a good attorney, they're going to put in the contract. No, no. Not contingent on the sale of the home. It's, this will very black and white say the buyer's obligation to perform is not contingent on the sale of another piece of real estate. Any contingency or condition in a loan contingency that says that will not be a reason to get your deposit back.
1: what if, See, what if you get a, a loan
2: denial that says lack of assets? That's um, the gray area, right? That's the gray area. But uh, but typically you'd have more if you sold the home, right? I'm sure it's going to say somewhere on there that you got to sell a house. That's Unless you get a lender who's,
1: that's right. No, it w- it would say
2: on there if it if it was proceeds from sale. Proceeds from that's sale. That's exactly what it would say. Yeah. So you got to be careful on that stuff. Um, there's a lot of things to consider amongst a lot of different, uh, just procedural aspects of selling and buying, and not even the legal uh, concerns. But if you sell and buy, just finding the time during a day to get the sale done, you're going to be ready for that sale. So you got to move your stuff out probably the night before so your buyer can do a walkthrough. You've got to coordinate with your mover to, to bring the stuff to where you're going. Uh, you have to have the sale taken care of first. That goes. That needs to go to record. The money from that sale has to go towards your purchase. If you're getting a loan, that loan has to be funded, what have you, and you meet and close for that purchase. Keep in mind, you have to also do a walkthrough on that day to determine that the home has been Cleaned out. It's in broom swept, clean condition, uh, free of all these sellers' possessions. Are you seeing people p- close on the same day? Yeah, we do. And one thing that uh, we, we do, it's a, it's a little stressful. I've got one going on Tuesday. Um, they're not getting a mortgage on their purchase. They're using. They're, they're very fortunate. They don't have a mortgage on their sale. So all the proceeds from the sale is actually more than the purchase price of the place they're buying. It's a cash purchase. So it's a little easier. Um, the thing is, that, but they're still uh, they're they're. I, When walking in here today, uh, this morning, I had a call from them and they were just concerned about coordinating the movers. And you're not going to be allowed most times to move into a property until the property's deed has been recorded. Yep. Because until that point, the seller is the owner. If anything, God forbid, happens, a mover gets hurt, what have you, the seller is, as the owner of record, is probably going to have an issue.
1: Okay. So with the new regulations that have came out that are known as TRID and Mm -hmm. people also call it no before you owe. Mm-hmm. That's what has and, that. And
2: that's not N-O.
1: It's Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How, how has that affected things uh, in the marketplace as far as number one, tr- TRID? What what is, it, what is it? What is it? Number one. Can
2: you explain what it is? Yeah. TRID stands for uh, the, the truth in lending. Oh, boy. I just truth read and it. Truth in lending. Initial you know, disclosures. Yeah, and I, I knew it yesterday. I corrected somebody on it yesterday, but I'm, I'm not it's, even going to say. It's known as TRID. It's known as TRID, and then there's a CFPB, which is the uh, group that, that oversees it, and that's a new uh, government entity that oversees the lending. So uh, what it does is it's for consumer protection. And what the purpose of it is is for a borrower of a loan, now they're called consumers, for them to get three days to review the documents that, or the document that illustrates the numbers on their transaction and that is called a closing disclosure. Now the loan estimate is um, what the lender has to give and you Andrew you guys have to give yep. to the borrower up front. That shows what the projected costs are. There has to be linkage between that and the closing disclosure uh, and the closing disclosure that those are the numbers for the closing. They can't change. If they need to change Even if there's an oil adjustment, uh, if if the parties didn't get the oil number and it's not being shown on the closing disclosure, that final statement, we can't close. It has to go back to the lender to be incorporated in this closing disclosure. Everything about the transaction has to be on that closing disclosure. So this is uh, post subprime crisis. This is the government stepping in saying we have to regulate this process better. The issue with it is if there's three things that happen to a borrower or consumer's loan, the redisclosure of the loan has to happen, yep. and a closing could be delayed. So those three things are would be an APR change, uh, up or down by an eighth for the borrower. Uh, they are given a prepayment penalty that they didn't have before that's not typical but if that happens or if they change the loan program if any of those three things happen the bank has to redisclose to the borrower and the closing could be delayed up to potentially eight days so this is known as trid which is the truth in
1: lending real estate settlement procedure act integrated disclosure that's why I right remember that's it. why that's why people can't remember that's why it's called trid okay so thank you google right so that what happens is if the borrowers, the the buyers, have to receive what's called a closing disclosure if it's sent through email at least three days before they close. They have to acknowledge that they've seen it. So what happens is if they have not acknowledged that they've seen the closing disclosure, so let's say that my office emails them a closing disclosure four days before the closing, but for whatever reason, they just haven't checked their email or went to their spam and they have an acknowledged receipt. An acknowledging receipt is, I mean, we have software where we can tell if, if people, when people open it, it says, it says it's says it re- been received, right? Mm-hmm. So we can see if, we can tell if someone's opened it. And let's just say they forgot and the bank forgets to follow up with them and say, hey, by the way, did you get this email? And, and it's one day before the closing. No matter what, you cannot close the next day. You have to wait three business days from the time that
2: they've seen it. And that presents... Some problems because we are a state and the way we've traditionally done things is the closing date is the closing date. As we've discussed earlier in the show, uh, there's ramifications, there's repercussions if you don't close on time. Now, this rule, because it's a federal rule, has changed and I'm sure it is in other states as well, has changed the way that we contract between parties. As an attorney, on the buy side, uh, seller side, we you know don't have to add this in because we're not concerned. We just want the buyer to close on time, but we have to acknowledge when we see this language added as the seller side that this is the, 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 the rules we're playing with now. But on the buyer side, we're adding in language that says that if the closing date is extended or delayed because of a need to comply for the lender, the buyer's lenders need to comply with the CFPB with TRID regulations the seller agrees at no cost, no penalty to the buyer to extend the closing up to eight days. So there's a new disclosure that ha- that maybe protects the buyers on this? It protects the buyers. And what we go even further step, if the buyer has a contingent sale, we say if the buyer's sale is affected by a TRID-related delay, the seller on the, the completely different sale, the seller on the completely different sale says, I will agree to extend, because your contingent deal got a trade affected yep. and was delayed, I agree to extend at no cost to you, Mr. Buyer, those three days to accommodate the trade affected delay. So
1: your hope, your when you're out there buying and selling with these now these are regulations, they're, they are in effect as of October. I think it was third. Yep. So everyone's under the new disclosures now, under these new rules. If, if you're getting a loan, if you're get if you're getting a loan, correct. Okay. If you're getting a mortgage, residential mortgage, a residential mortgage,
2: correct. Okay. So, cash isn't affected and commercial deals commercial, aren't affected. No commercial and no anything that's cash. Correct. And it's not, but just to be clear, if it's a uh, investment property, if it's a second home, if it's a primary residence, if it's residential, it's affected. Er, uh, yes.
1: So w- I think a lot of these changes have been good mm-hmm. and some have been a little challenging because of what we just talked about. About if they don't acknowledge receipt in time and we don't have proof of that, it delays things. But for the most part, what I do like about these new changes is that the the buyers are getting their numbers of how much they need to bring to closing ahead of time.
2: No, it's helpful. It, I, I've noticed in the ones that we've done. Because this started for loans applied to after October 3rd. So the closings for these started probably around the 10th or so of of November. And I have noticed that people, there's actually there's less questions at the closing table because they've already received it, they've already had time to digest it and go over um, those numbers. And those numbers can change slightly from when you get that closing
1: disclosure, but for the most part, it's like the best... It's the closest you can get to
2: to the actual down to the penny number, right? And it's okay if they change within reason. It just has exactly. to be. It has to be reflected on the closing disclosure. What we used to do a lot of times, if there was changes on the document, used to be called the HUD. If there were any slight changes, people would say, "We'll just write them a check outside the closing." That that can't happen anymore. It has cannot to happen. All be, and and that doesn't mean it can't happen because oh, I'm just saying it can't happen. There's serious fines that are levied against the lenders if it comes to light that they Allowed off closing disclosure credits or payments it has to go on that statement. It has Before,
1: to. There, there, people would say, "Oh, it's fifty dollars." He had just write the right buyer write the seller a check for fifty dollars or vice yeah. versa, and and it, for the most part, I guess that was accepted. Yep. Uh, nowadays, even that can't be done. It cannot be done. The, the, even to the most nominal number in the world, which sounds it, crazy. Even, it even can't if it's be for done. ten dollars. You're supposed to put it on the closing disclosure, which means if you're at the closing and something changes, either the buyer and seller just say, just forget about it. We're not going to exchange any money. Is that allowed? Can you just say you no? You can say we're not going to exchange money. That's fine. So we're not going to put it anywhere. I'm gonna, The seller says, I'll eat the cost, and then no money's exchanged, yep. which will probably happen if it's under a certain amount, hopefully. Yep. If you have somebody who says, no, I want my $12, that, that what will happen is, the, a new closing disclosure has to be issued by the bank. That's correct. So as long as you're working with a bank that's responsive, yep. the attorney's office has to call up the bank, change it, make the change, and then send it over to the paralegal for so that there can be a corrected closing disclosure. That's correct. The problem is if it's 3.30 on Thursday afternoon and you're at, the registry, and you're at the registry of Deeds, all of a sudden you can't get that closing disclosure and you have to delay the closing by one day.
2: Correct. That's what there is in some cases some post closing corrections that are allowed to be made, but you it's for things that are you didn't know of it's supposed to you're not really supposed to close if you know of a um, any type of adjustment if there's a, a a clerical error after the fact things can be readjusted by the lender but if you're not supposed to close if you know there's money that still is uh, needs to be reflected by the lender it's pretty it's pretty cut and dry from what I've seen and, yeah.
1: and uh you know those things I think in the for the most part I think
2: That they're good, but they they just come with a little challenges. They come with challenges. Comes to getting used. I mean, the first closing I did that was a a trade closing. There was uh, a delay. Um, I'm not gonna say who the lender was. It wasn't you guys, Andrew. Uh, Of course not, Brad. But it was uh, there was a delay, and we're at the closing table, and the uh, lender had not addressed the fact that the buyer had to pay the seller the carrying cost of a five day delay of four hundred something dollars. Mm -hmm. And the loan officer happened to be at the closing from this bank. He said, "Well, can't they just write each other write a check for one or the other?" I'm like, "This is my first trade closing." Absolutely are, not. And on, and on my 500th trade closing, we're not going to do this. But I can't believe you're asking me on the first, very first one I'm doing, very first day, to completely fly in the face of the rule. So you know th- those delays though are serious. And I just want to give a, a, a real life scenario that yeah. happened to a client of mine this week. Um, and to make it simple, we'll, we'll, there was three properties involved. Uh, we'll just call them A, B, and C. My client owned uh, property B and was selling it to buy property C. Um, their buyer on property B was selling property A. Okay, if you think of it that way. So okay. we have A, B, and C. Um, the buyer of property A was getting a loan, and we were supposed to close on Monday of this they week. We call this a domino effect. Domino this effect. This is what it's known supposed in, the, to in close, the real estate industry. Supposed to close on Monday of this week. Got an urgent email Monday morning that the buyer of property A had a trid violation, and uh, there was a three-day disclosure period that Waiting. had happened. We just talked about that. Just so. talked about it. So my client's sale of B could not happen correct and my client's purchase of c could not happen mm-hmm. but thankfully everyone involved pretty good attorneys decided or not decided had at the time of contract negotiation put in the language i talked about where it said that if there's any delays that are due to trid that cause a lender to need additional time to close no buyer's financially responsible for that so everyone played nice we um, extended for those three days everyone closed on thursday and Seemed happy. So it worked out, but imagine if people
1: weren't... Like, there's still people out there who are doing business that didn't d- don't even realize that
2: Trid exists. And that's scary. And and that's scary. It, and if there wasn't language in there, uh, the, for instance, Somebody the seller in of trouble. property seat could say, listen, I'm not extending, or I want hundred dollars a day or i want whatever to make this go forward so you really need to have good representation uh, you have to have good lenders you really need a good team especially you've always needed that but with the new rule changes you really need it now
1: yeah and and i think one of the things that that happened too there was no um they they didn't let you do any practice testing on the new disclosures Mm -hmm. i don't know if you knew that it was and i'm sure you're just like your office the the testing was live scenarios yeah that and that's that was just how we had to do it so we, I had, I had uh, my first set of trid closings the last two weeks, and they all closed on time. They all went smooth, but the, you can just see that's new to everybody. It's very new, and I think in the next six months it, it'll be, it'll be like almost like it never happened. I think, yeah. and it'll just be business as usual, and but with, with, with stricter rules, you know. That's the um, hope. That that's the hope. Anyway, um, again, my name is Andrew Monticone. And I'm a mortgage loan officer with Leader Bank. If anyone has any questions after the show. Uh, looking for for rate updates or, or talking about purchasing or refinancing you can call me at area code 781 474-5085 again my name's Andrew Monticone uh, mortgage loan officer Leader Bank 781-474-5085 we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back
0: Are you thinking about buying or selling a home? Are you looking to purchase investment property or considering converting a property into condominiums? Or are you a business owner or investor selling or acquiring commercial real estate? Mahoney Law Group is a full service real estate law firm and has guided thousands of people in the South Shore area through all stages and types of real estate ownership, including buying, selling, refinancing, and condominium conversions. They specialize in residential and commercial real estate closings and title issues. Whether you're a first time home buyer or a seasoned commercial real estate investor. The knowledgeable and experienced staff at Mahoney Law Group is ready to help and they're always available. Make sure to ask about their first time home buyer discounts on fees and title insurance. If you have questions about buying, selling, or refinancing, give them a call 781-849-0700. Visit their website at MLGNE.com or like them on Facebook and Twitter. Again, that number is 781-849-0700. Visit their website mlgne.com or like them on Facebook and Twitter. Mahoney Law Group.
3: Are you thinking about selling your home or buying a new one? Are you a first-time home buyer or perhaps just right-sizing? Do you have a buyer's agent? Do you know if you really even need one? What is home staging? Will it really help me sell my home faster? Do I have to have a home inspection? How much home insurance do I need for my new home? How do I handle my estate sale? What are home sale contingencies? Have you heard that you have to put 20% down to buy a new home? Did you know that that wasn't true? Are you worried about environmental issues? What is radon, lead paint, and mold? Is there a difference between a foreclosed property or a short sale? Do you need to have a Title V inspection to sell your home? What do you do if your system fails? Are these questions you have, but you don't know who to ask? Hi, I'm Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. Call my office for a one-on-one consultation with me or one of the many dedicated agents at Boston Connect Real Estate so we can talk real estate. It's
0: easy to connect with some of the South Shore's most experienced real estate agents. Go to bostonconnect.com, bostonconnect.com, or call 781-826-7300.
4: Plumbing problems are inevitable. Sad to say, do not fix it yourself. After all, that's your home you're living in. McNamara Plumbing. New construction, renovations, repairs, service calls. McNamara Plumbing. Fully insured. 781-294-7100. McNamara Plumbing.
0: 50% more Talk Real Estate, absolutely free. Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara. Now, one hour, every Saturday morning on 95.9 WATD.
1: Welcome back, South Shore. Uh, I'm sitting here with real estate attorney, Brad Mahoney. Uh, we're talking about purchase and sale agreements, the new TRID guidelines that that just came out. Um, and we're going to jump into something that I know Brad loves to talk about, and it's, it's the term is use and occupancies, and now let's start off with, with, with what is a use and occupancy, when is it, and when is it used?
2: So use and occupancy, it's a term for an agreement between uh, a property owner, sold seller, and a buyer, and they can be used in, in different ways, but w- when it comes to light, it's basically before uh, a deed has been recorded in, in the buyer's name. and. There can be scenarios where a seller is saying, listen, we'll close. So, so I, I misspoke, I'm sorry. It can be either before a deed is in the buyer's name or in cases it can be after the property has already been sold. So um, one scenario we have sometimes, again, again, when seller's market is hot, and especially in some markets it's very hot right now, a seller will say, listen, I'll sell the property and we'll close on January 16th. But I'm going to need some time to find my other place, or I'm not sure, or my other place isn't going to be ready until March 1st. So we'll close on January 16th, but I'm going to sign a use and occupancy with you through March 1st. So what that means is you, Mr. Buyer, you own the property as of January 16th. You have to start paying your mortgage, all that stuff. We'll close. You own the property. But I will stay in the prop- property and have a use and occupancy to it. So you're renting. Until- but The seller is We don't like that term because it con- it, it connotates a landlord-tenant relationship. Ah. So it's very clear in the use and occupancy agreement that this is not the creation not of a, a landlord. Lease. It's not a lease. It's not the creation of any tenant rights by the occupant. It's more of a license. So why was that done? It's just done so it's easier to evict. And so okay. if someone is holding over, it's easier to get them out. Tenants have a lot of rights in Massachusetts. And, the, and what you don't want to do as the owner of that property is give that that I hate to, I almost said tenant, give the person staying in there under the use and occupancy the rights of a tenant. The other way we have a use and occupancy, and I've, uh, this is probably the more common way, is unfortunately if the lender might not be ready or if you're, uh, so let's give that example first, we're supposed to close on uh, November 20th. Yep. You get a call, listen, um, need a couple of days, we're not going to be able to close until the 24th. Well, the buyer has already planned their movers. Yep. They have sold their house. They don't have a place to go. They'll come to me and say, listen, can we move in? So that 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 one, I'm going to give you my thoughts on that after you, you say what you're so going to say. So the issue is on the buy side, the buyers are saying, what's the big deal? That They've already moved out. I mean, it should be nice to them. They should let, We'll pay money. And the problem is if you're on the seller side, if the attorney is on the seller side, the risk to your client, the first risk is, what if the buyer never closes? What if you, they never get their mortgage? You've never got their mortgage. They've moved in. Now you got to kick them out, okay? That's one. Two, what ends if something catastrophic happens? God forbid the house burns down. What if somebody, and, and they decide they don't want to buy it? What if uh, the mover gets hurt? What if the, one of their children get hurt bad? People say they're, they're not going to do anything, and just they just want to move in. But when things turn bad, you never know. Mm-hmm. So. Most of the time, when you see a buyer in the scenario explained, ask for a use and occupancy. They're told no. Most sellers' attorneys do not like to advise their clients to sign them. That's okay, just so my. Just, it, it, they happen. I'd probably say seventy percent of the time they're requested, they they get denied. So it depends what market you're into. If they're where they're more common. Yep. Depending
1: if you're in the city, they're more common. Yep. But when I when I think of it is. Letting someone move in without without actually closing on the mortgage is is a little bit nerve wracking. Yep. Because it's like what if, what if that person doesn't get ends up not getting a mortgage, as opposed to I've already closed. I'm gonna Understand. let. I'm staying. I'm gonna stay. At least you own the house as the buyer. Right. And the seller's already like okay. I've already got my money. Those seem those seem
2: to, to me. Not to be as scary, they're not as scary and you and that'll a lot of times that'll be brought up at the time of offer. the one thing that the agents neglect to bring up when they're they're saying, oh, just to abuse and occupancy, you need to consider what's the consideration for staying. Okay, so does this seller, because I've had scenarios where no one's brought this up, so it gets to the purchase and sale, and we're asked to draw a draft up a use and occupancy. Okay, for the 45 days the seller is going to be staying post-closing, what are they paying the buyer? It's supposed to be their carrying costs is how I've seen it. Well, some some sellers will say, listen, I gave you a good deal on the house. I'm not paying anything. Well, then you're not going to get your use and occupancy. Well, then we're not going to sign the purchase and sale. But typically, And then the other thing they not to interrupt is what about a security deposit? So, what ends if they scratch the floor or break something moving out? It, 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 we always say in the use and occupancy, the terms of the purchase and sale, as applicable, will still govern. So that means they have to leave the property in broom swept, clean condition with all personal property out. But we need something, and I, I always advise: what's, what, you know, w- let's kind of look at it like a lease. If if they're paying, if it's a very expensive place and you're paying them four thousand a month, let's keep another four thousand for security deposit. And if they scratch something or break something on the way out, at least we have some money. That we can hold for them to get out, or if they're they're if they're balking and not moving out, we do write in that there's a penalty, and it's pretty egregious. Sometimes we we'll put like two hundred dollars a day for every day that they stay over.
1: So I, the, I see a lot of use in occupancies in the scenario where the buyer has closed and they're letting the seller stay there.
2: Much more common than the I former. do
1: not see it okay. the other way around, yep. and I see it more. I see it more in
2: the city than I do on in the south shore. Yep. I do see it in the south shore, but not as often. I'll see it. Um, a, a use agreement okay. where people will say listen i a don't want to move in i don't want to move in but i've got a pod or can i so can i just store the pod in your driveway i got to put the pod somewhere i'm moving that i'm using the, the pod company I, can I just store the pod in your driveway? Or can I just put my stuff in the garage? You, and this does not, hap- not happen when the person hasn't moved out. But a lot okay. of times, people have moved out already, and they'll say, listen, can I just move my stuff in? But you're right. A, a lot more times when, when the deal's already happened and um, the, the seller's like, I've got my money, uh, and the buyer's saying, you know, it's it's we, we it's part of the negotiation, the deal. I like the deal I got. Yeah, I am I understand we're closing, let's just say, January 16th. We're not going to be able to move in until March 1st, but we're planning accordingly those are are more apt to happen than the last minute. Hey, my mortgage was supposed to close today on Friday, Mm -hmm. and uh, we're not going to close till Tuesday. Let me move in. That's just (laughs) (laughs) a lot of it's no. I I have somebody trying just for convenience. Uh, I I got a call. um, We're closing on Tuesday, and their sale is at uh, 10 in the morning. Their purchase is at noon, and they want to move in at 8 in the morning, and they've asked me to ask the seller's attorney, hey, um, can we start moving at 8 a.m.? And I try to set their expectations that they're probably going to say no. I would say no if I was on the seller's side. Just wait. And you, I know you want to get in there as soon as possible, but you don't own it until it's on record. Well,
1: it sounds like you just have to have a good attorney. If you're, if you're going to do one, you have to at least
2: protect yourself in some way. Does that sound... Yeah, absolutely. you got to have an attorney draft and, and review... Uh, a drafted use or a use use occupancy or a use agreement.
1: I, n- I don't think, I, I can't remember the last time I saw somebody do a, a real estate tra- transaction
2: and not have an attorney involved. Sometimes we see it on the on the buy side, you never see it. I, I mean, you, you just, you need an attorney to, con- to close the transaction. The, the it's actually fee- required by y- law y- to y- have a y- closing attorney, but y- I'm talking y- have
1: like, to. like, I haven't seen, I think I made once in like the last four years i saw a seller not have one and it was a nightmare he, they yeah. didn't know
2: how to do anything then the, the what happens is either the agent for the seller or the buyer's attorney ends up doing twice the work <laughs> so that's what happens and i know you love that so. so we'll just charge for it yeah exactly <laughs> typical attorney here. oh yeah uh let's jump into uh
1: powers of attorney yeah uh, which comes in handy more for sellers as, as for as opposed to buyers it can it can come in handy for buyers but subject first, to
2: lender approval
1: let's first talk about Sell, uh, if you're a seller implementing mm-hmm. a power of attorney because I know when I go to you know I, I used to go to a lot of closings but I noticed that the sellers are
2: never there no and and I would say 95 to 99% of the seller representation we do the sellers do not go to closing so what does that mean how do they close so you what you're going to find you do have to sign just because you don't have to just because you don't have to go to the closing doesn't mean you don't have to you don't have to sign some documents so as a seller the title standard in Massachusetts is and probably anywhere in the country. The deed, it's so important, that needs to be signed by you. As the whoever the whoever the title holder of the property is, they can't delegate with very, very minor exceptions, they can't delegate signing of the deed, which gives title of the property, ownership of the property from the seller to the buyer, that can't be delegated to anyone else. It has to be signed in front of a notary by the actual seller. Now, if somebody's just as an aside, if somebody's mentally incompetent, of course, they're going to have a, a power of attorney that would have to sign on their behalf. But barring that, we've had scenarios where someone is in, I've had people in Hungary that or in you know Europe, um, Mexico, wherever, name it, Asia, where they've had to go to the US consulate or the US embassy- sure. And get their signature. We'll email them the deed. They'll get their signature notarized at the U.S. Embassy because it's got to be either a consulate or an an embassy. And depending on the country, um, there are some exceptions. But then they'll mail us back the original. It's so important. The power of attorney is the other document they have to sign. They have to sign and get that notarized. And what that does... But the deed you can get ahead of time. We know, and this all, yeah. This we we give this to you weeks in advance of the closing, weeks in advance of the closing, especially if you're going to be out of the area, so that you sign the deed, you sign to the power of attorney. What the power of attorney does, it's a limited power of attorney. It's transaction specific. Yep. Generally, for, it gives us as your attorney the ability to sign all the closing documents on your behalf. We go over the documents beforehand with you, show you what the final figures are going to be, and then attend the closing on your behalf, sign everything, and then your proceeds are wired so that's that's a limited power of attorney they're very commonly used in massachusetts for real estate transactions on the for seller sellers side, all the, the sellers. time i see it all the time all the time buyer side which needs no approval because there's no lender involved with the seller so sellers can approval, do power either. of attorney every time every time buy side if there's a lender involved if it's cash you could have somebody it doesn't, signing yeah. doesn't matter but if it's a lender involved The lender has to improve. And again, it's a transaction-specific. Transaction-specific. It has to say who the lender is. It has to have an expiration date on it. And it has to say the property, the amount, all sorts of stuff. And it has to be improved by the lender. And some people, and I don't know how you guys are, uh, Andrew, but some lenders will not allow powers of attorney for buyers just for convenience. Um, just because you're going away for the weekend and you don't feel like going on Friday to your purchase isn't a valid excuse yep. for, a, for a power of attorney. So
1: w- the, the way that we we do power of attorneys at Leader Bank, number one, no matter what the situation, it has to be approved. Mm-hmm. It has to be approved by underwriting. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of the buyers needs to be there. So one of the potential,
2: or one of the future title holders, one of so the buyers. One of the,
1: one of the buyers who's going to be on, who's on the mortgage
2: and title. Yep. You, like So you can't have somebody who's not on the mortgage signed for you. So, uh, as an example, um, husband and wife decide they're going to go to Vegas for the week. For the week, and they're going to have uh, the sister-in-law sign. Cannot do that. Cannot do that. Absolutely not. Okay.
1: One of the borrowers needs to be there. So, if you're buying a property by yourself, you cannot do power of attorney. Okay. We, we, we do not allow it because it, you need you have to have someone there on your behalf because well, you're signing a mortgage. The bank's fear is. Well I never. I wouldn't have signed that if I was there, yep. but if you have another borrower there well, your borrowers there other borrowers representing you there, they're on the hook because you know you got obviously you guys are you guys have the
2: collateral through the other borrower you, yeah,
1: exactly yep. so that that's the fear in that situation
2: okay what about do you guys say um if someone uh, just if it's for convenience and they're traveling? I've had scenarios where someone says, "I have to go to a work conference, I can't make the closing, and the bank will say, no, we'll wait till you get back." There has to be a reason given for the power of attorney.
1: Um, it usually, from my experience, people aren't doing it for convenience, they're doing it because my mother is ill down in down in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, they're traveling
2: for business and they're not going to be back for three weeks. Yep. So I've seen those go through okay. I've seen uh, people moving, you know, we have a lot of people who relive just because the economy is so good in Massachusetts. Universities, what have you? We see a lot of people relocating, and one spouse will be back where they if they live in California, they're moving to Boston. One spouse will be here already working; they'll go and sign, and then they, they'll have the power of attorney for the other spouse who's and, not local. And when yet. we talk about these reasons, I mean,
1: for these are for conforming loans. Yeah. Once you get into jumbo mortgages, it's a little bit more strict because yeah. jumbo mortgages typically aren't sold as much as the conforming conforming uh, loan. So, a, a, a technically, a jumbo mortgage. There's a couple of definitions, but for this this sake, we're going to say anything over a loan amount of four seventeen is a jumbo mortgage. Yeah. Also, definitely any one loan over uh, five seventeen five hundred is considered a jumbo mortgage. So okay. any any let's call it anything in the high 500s is a jumbo mortgage. Typically, there, it's a little bit more strict about the power of attorney where it's going to have to be a good reason. They're going to ask, well, what's the reason? Well, you know, they, they might say, well, we'll wait until we come back until they come back. Okay. To sign. And then all of a sudden you'll see, well, I guess I can be there. Mm-hmm. Type type of situation. I see that a lot, and I, I people. I discourage them if I can, yeah. but if it, but sometimes you need them.
2: Yeah, I you know it's um, they're interesting because it, it, it sounds like it's a noble thing to be someone's attorney. In fact, in fact, and be the power of attorney, it creates so much more paperwork at the closing, and the person that's signing on your behalf turns out not to like you, uh, the person who's assigned this power of attorney, because it's so much signing. <laughs> it's uh, yep. it's kind of funny when, when someone has to go through and sign uh, their name uh, or their buyer's name by the person signing as attorney. In fact, when they have to write that out 150 times, they're not too happy by the end of the closing. Uh, yeah. it's, it's it,
1: I, I see most people to try to discourage them, but they do come in handy. They're great for sellers. Great for sellers. Lo- I love it on the seller end. Um Here's something that comes up a lot, which is Massachusetts is unique uh, to this, and this will be the, the last thing that
2: we kind of talk about quickly, is what's the difference between an offer to purchase and a purchase and sale? So in Massachusetts, what we do, we have an offer to purchase, and, and you can go straight to purchase and sale, but how we usually operate is you have an offer to purchase, which is the, uh, which you put in front of the, the seller um, with a deposit, usually a $1,000, and it lists out the price you want to pay, the property address. Um, there's contingencies of if, if you're going to take, uh, usually it's 10 days to inspect the property, um, 10 days to um, get the purchase and sale signed, which is the next document that's binding. Uh, it also lists if you're going to have a mortgage contingency, what per- if there's any personal property you want included, what appliances you want included, if there's any exclusions. Once that's agreed to and you go by the inspection contingency, then the purchase and sale is signed. People mistake and think, oh, I, I, I'm not going to sign the purchase and sales, so we're not going to go forward with the deal. The reality is that offer to purchase is an enforceable contract. So you got to keep that in mind. There's, there's, we could do a whole show on that, Andrew. You gave me a loaded gun there in the right, last but, question. Yeah, exactly. but, uh, but, so but
1: offer to purchase, purchase and next sale. Next show, we'll do we'll that do, one. We'll do it the next time. Uh, Brad, if people want to get in touch with you one more time, give people your, your information.
2: Brad Mahoney, real estate attorney, Braintree Mass, Mahoney Law Group, 781 849 700 And our website is www.mlgne.com. And give your phone number one more time. 781-849-0700.
1: And I'm Andrew Monticone, I'm a mortgage loan officer with Leader Bank. If anyone has any mortgage-related questions, you can call me at 781-474-5085. Thanks, Andrew.